Welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast, where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films, how to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Our tagline is thinking outside the box office. Joining me today is a man. <laughs> I'm going to have to make this up now. Is a man. <laughs> is a man. Two men. Is a, a beautiful blonde man who is <laughs> into animal activism, vegan. He's uh, in Disney's The Lodge. He's made brilliant films himself. It's Dan Richardson. Welcome to the podcast. Ooh, thanks, Giles. That's really nice. I wonder what uh, F stands for when you say you don't want to F up. Uh, feel. Okay. Uh, and also joining us is... Good, please say hello, kid. <laughs> Is a beautifully yeah. handsome, long-haired man and bearded man. Yeah. <laughs> are you a man? It's Called true, you are. Long bearded Andrew man. Andrew Roger, who uh, is also in a band. He plays music and tours. What's your name of your band? Uh, my band is called When the Wolf Comes Home. Woohoo! If cool you're into thrash metal, which I am, then really <laughs> check it. Honestly, the music is really good. It's just not my cup of tea. Are you in a thrash metal band? No, I'm not in a thrash metal band. All right, band. What's, what's, give us the right correct It's a hardcore band. It's just like a southern hardcore band. It's doing your escape plan. Southern as in like... Cornwall. Southern America. Yeah, right. okay. yeah, every time I die. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about. Right in South, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm Giles Alderson. Well, look, for a start, Giles is the reason this podcast is happening. I mean, I'm honoured to be involved. I'm sure I'm speaking for both of us when I say that. And um, Giles is a filmmaker. Giles and I know each other because of Giles' previous life as an actor. Which he's transitioned away from. He's now a director. He's made lots of great short films. He's just shot his first feature film called The Dare, which he also wrote, not just directed. And we're excited to see. Uh, in fact, I've seen a director's cut. You have, haven't cut you? that out if you want. But I've but, seen a director's cut. Yeah, I don't think I'm not allowed to say that. And um, you know, and, and he's also currently in 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 development on his next project, which is an amazing, amazing, um, heartfelt script called The Nobodies which I can't wait to see the end result of that. It's going to be fantastic. Mr. Giles Alderson. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. So we, we wanted to do this to talk filmmaking, independent film, how films get made, how we uh, personally, our journeys, where we go, how we travel to get to the end result. Travel. How we travel. Train. We get an Oyster card. And we get on it and we travel. We, we wanted to make something that that would inspire people to make films who are trying to make films or people who are well-established, who just want to listen to three people, people four yeah, people. On their journeys. On their journeys, yeah. yeah. Um, right, let's talk about cinematography. Cool. Um, so, Andy, um, you are a cinematographer. It's been said, yeah. First of all, I'm jumping in. Oh. Tell us what you've been doing this week. What have I been doing this week? You've been filming. It's Monday. What day is it today? It's Monday. It's Monday, Monday morning. Wednesday. Oh, last is week. it Wednesday? Well, I've been getting it's up, Monday, having a bit it? of breakfast. It's Monday. It is yeah. Monday. Yeah. Talk about the last couple of weeks. Last couple of weeks. I had a. I uh, I did a. Well, I did a TV show called uh, Borderline. Yeah. Series two of a TV show called Borderline on, on Channel Five, and it's been picked up by Netflix. Of course, it has. Oh, oh, shit. are we allowed to say that? Well, the last series was. I mean, uh, I was it. Right, Comedy Central. Uh, I presume this one has. I don't know. Right. So yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Netflix. Comedy Central. Whatever. Yeah, it's great. It's great. But yeah, I I had a little rest and then I got work again. I do lots of fashion stuff, so I shot some stuff for Marie Claire, little online comedy video skit things. Okay, so talk about how you first started. Why did you become uh, an amazing DP that you are? So there's a man called Peter Edwards. Um, I met him at Pinewood when I was there for work experience. I managed to get in with the prop department and hang out with them. And then I met this guy, Peter Edwards, and I didn't even know it was a job at the time. I didn't even realize that I'd always been interested in, in the aesthetics of film and the, like, the photographic side of it. I was a photographer. I was a painter. I was interested in that. It turns out that that in itself is a job. If, if, you know, you know, 
you're not so great with actors, you can just do that bit and it's great. So you got a problem with actors, have you? Yeah, big problem. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Get him out. Yeah. No, I mean, of course. No, if, if you if you love and care for actors and want them to look good and feel comfortable on the screen, it's a good, it's a good job to have as well. But um, there we go. We sailed <laughs> that in. Um, yeah. So anyway, to make keep it short, so I uh, worked there for a bit. I was a runner some other places. I managed to get a job. Um, thanks to Peter Edwards, actually at a place called Telegenic, who are a, a big outside broadcast company who did Sky Sports stuff. Um, so I shot rugby as a camera assistant and then as an operator a little bit. And then I left there. And then many years later, um, I was head of cameras at a TV studio. I did that for a bit. Uh, and then I started working as a DP alongside uh, and then ran out of holiday days. So I had to leave my staff job to carry on working as a DP. So that's what I did. And that was five or six years ago now. Um and now I'm a DP and I shoot the odd commercial, some TV shows, and increasingly feature films. And I shot Giles' last movie, uh, The Dare. Um, first movie, first feature film. Indeed, yes. Uh, it's my fifth feature, but it was by far the biggest production I've been involved with um, at this level. You know, big crew. and. Okay, so tell us about some of the other films. What was, the, what was your process when you got your first feature film? Tell, talk about how that felt for you. So I think my first feature was um, Shane Sweeney's film. Yes. The first thing, which actually I got because Giles recommended me because I've been working with him as a, as a DP on various sort of brand films and mm-hmm. short films. Again, I met him, liked him, thought he was a cool guy. We worked together and we shot the film and I think it was an enjoyable thing all around and it's turned out really good. And What's yeah. happening with the film now? To, where's, is he- um, I think, I think he's looking for distribution. It's that whole thing, isn't it? That's the hardest part. But yeah, it's a good movie. Um, and great to get one. You know, for you, finished and yeah, it was great for me. And then, and then I shot for a woman called Nicole Alberelli, who's a director from America, which she lives here, called To Dream, which was originally supposed to be a short film, but it was forty pages as a script. And then when we shot it, it kind of expanded, and it's now like an hour and a half, I think it is. So that's been doing festival circuits, um, and I'm really proud of that. There's some good people in that as well. Yeah, um, Adam Deacon, Adam Deacon's in it. Uh, Diana Vickers. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Ed, Ed Hayter, one of the guys has gone on to be in a film with Clint Eastwood's son. Scott big movie, Scott, Scott Eastwood. Scott Eastwood. Yeah. From, from that was his first movie, and he's gone on to, to do that. So, yeah. Wow. I, of course, take full responsibility for that. Of course. <laughs> you made him look good. <laughs> so tell us about choosing cameras. Why why certain cameras? Yeah, so I started out, as a, as I say, as a painter. So I'm very bored by technology and cameras. They're, they're a tool that you have to use. There's a lot of people who get very excited about it, and I... I, I it's lovely. It's a privilege to use nice ca- nice kit, but it's not something that I place a huge amount of importance on. If you have something that's good enough to do the job, that's great. But really, it's a tool to uh, to make the director's vision appear on the screen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I really like red cameras. I've been working with them since the the red one came out. You own your own. I own my own red MX. Yeah, um, big fan of them. They are uh, not the easiest cameras to use, but they are the most. I have the most depth. You can do a lot of stuff with them. Alexas are great. They're very simple out of the box. They're very easy to use. They're great skin tones. When you say, do you mind me asking, yeah, yeah. when you say depth, what do you mean? Like literally the dynamic range of the camera? Yeah, I mean, there is that, but just like you can, you can do a lot to change the image on set. You can go quite wild with them on set. And then when you get to post, you can realize that you were mad that day and take all that stuff away and still have a usable image. Like, so kind of like shooting in RAW? Yeah, because you shoot in RAW. Right. I mean, you can do that with, with uh, uh, Aries as well, although it's a bit more complex. But there are a lot of, basically, there are a lot of parameters on a red 
that you can change on set. You can't really do with an Alexa. Alexa is a great out of the box. Uh, I always use the analogy. It's like a like a Japanese sports car where you can change, you know, your ride height and you, you get involved with the engine and all the, the valve timing and stuff. Whereas an Alexa is like a it's a, like a um, it's like a Bentley or something. Um, it's just like it's what it is. It's great. It does the job. It's beautiful out of the box. You haven't got to do anything to it. And we shot the dare on. We shot the dare on Alexa. We had the choice of red. Um, I went with Alexa because I was shooting in a new country uh, with a new crew. And most people know how to shoot on Alexas and most post houses can deal with them. Reds, you have to get a bit more involved with in post. They use proprietary software, don't they, for, for editing, don't they, Red? No, you can cut on Avid, you can cut oh, okay. anything. You, it used to be, used to be a bit awkward, but okay. not for like, well, that's good to know. Years. Yeah, yeah. But I, I guess this is the thing, like, Reds are less well known in that world, but they're actually, I feel like there's more scope within them. Do you think that people like James Cameron, he used reds on Avatar, didn't he? He used like 50 reds yeah. <laughs> on Avatar. Yeah. Do you think that that's Freedy. totally changed the, the game for them and it's put them on the map and people yeah. are just going to take that? Because Alexa was it, really, wasn't it? When, yeah. Once you get away from film camera, it was Alexa. The red came out first and then the Alexa came out afterwards. So the first red camera was out a few years ago. Was it really? Yeah. Uh, wow. But then because Ari, Ari is such a name, I mean, and they're, you know, they've been making cameras for like a hundred years or whatever. Everyone was like, cool. I went with that. And because, yeah. the, you know, the, the first red cameras were weird. They were big and heavy and hot and hard to use. But um, they were actually first with all that kind of, that cinema re- revolution digital mm. was, was red. Wow. Okay. Cameras are boring. So let's move yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, people do get bogged down by cam. Everyone always says, well, "This podcast is sponsored by Red." I think that's what, hopefully what's going to be interesting about this is like it's more about the business and the actual artistic side of making films, which is what interests me. Mm. There's a, like a lot of podcasts um, about the, the gear side, and it's great, and a lot of people who are very interested in talking about kit. But that's not really why we it's make not- films, right? I mean, True. But, 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 but interesting, people yeah. always ask you, you yeah. know, who's in it and what did you shoot What on? did you shoot on? And I'm like, what does it matter? <laughs> really? Right. No, no, but really, really though, yeah, I'm right. like, if you've got a great DP who knows what they're doing, mm-hmm. you could shoot on an iPhone and Tangerine's a perfect example of sure. that. You don't need the, of course we want the best cameras and we were lucky enough to shoot with Alexis on the dead, but we, we shot the World of Darkness on the red, yeah. on your red. Yeah. Uh, this is a feature documentary all about, uh, the zeitgeist of a board game, if you like, and a role-playing game called Vampire the Masquerade, which is a whole world of darkness um, world. It's a documentary about the ups and downs of this company called White Wolf, which was bought out and bought back, and um, and the vampire culture and the vampire culture world, which, again, we'll go into more details about that in, in another episode. But, yeah, we shot on red for that because... Because you had one. one. <laughs> that was the thing. You the best camera is so, the camera you have. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like we were yeah. talking about the, in, in the previous episode, you know, the fact that people people in independent film, more than in big budget studio productions, have to roll their sleeves up and get involved in all aspects. And this camera selection thing is a huge part of that. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's beyond me as an actor primarily, uh, but I understand that, you know, you, you certainly want a DOP who's, who has a, has a very specific reason for wanting a specific camera. Sure. Whether whether that's creative choices or whether it's a post production process to save you money or both or whatever it may be, it's really it is a really relevant part of it. But yeah, it, but it's as important as choosing your catering company. You know, like it's, it's, <laughs> like it really is. It's, it's a line item. Like, <laughs> I did on the day we had vegan food all the time. Yeah, like like Thank that's you. really important. You've got to put the right fuel in the crew to make them work. Right. Very true. 
Yeah, you do. Cameras are the same. Like there's all sorts of cameras that are wonderful and will shoot great images, but if they're going to hold the production up, you know what's really interesting. It's such a good point you make there because if you were if you were sitting in the cinema watching a film. Unless you're a DOP, which of course makes up probably 0.0001% of the, DP of the now, cinema so. viewing audience. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a big ratio of the people in this room, yeah. but it's out there in terms of the cinema going audience. If you're sitting there watching a film that was shot on an Alexa or a Red or a C300 or whatever it may be, you're just watching a film and you're not thinking, oh, this is, unless you're seeing a side by side comparison. Mm-hmm. Which you're not. And Otherwise, you, you're in the wrong cinema, no. and it's a really weird way to go. <laughs> it's not. It's all about the story. It's all about the story. It's just it's- story and the characters and the arc. And if that's there, it like say you can shoot on anything. Right. Play, which is a perfect example of something that was shot yeah. on not a great camera, and you follow the story. You, Absolutely. You, it's all no about one goes. Oh, this should be shot on red. This Absolutely. Shot on this. I'm going to completely undermine my point now. Like yes, I love that. 100. Um, percent There's there's been. There's been occasions where I've been asked to shoot things and the production has already decided what camera they're going to get. Okay. So Why? How do you feel about that? Um, really bad. <laughs> I, I got asked, this was years ago now, I got that asked to shoot. Point. Uh, oh God, I wish I had a brain that remembered names. She's a model. Ooh. Oh, it was Kate Moss. No, I shot Kate Moss. That yeah, was cool. That, oh, it wasn't that. Um, with a camera. Na- with a name C300, <laughs> which wasn't, wasn't great. But anyway, um, I shot... It was Cara Delevingne. Yeah, Cara Delevingne. Cara There we go. It was to go oh. around Paris with Cara Delevingne in a classic car filming her. But they wanted me to shoot on like a C100 or something. Right. Which is fine. Shot a lot But like, it. it was all, it was going to be all about skin tones. It was all about that. And they wouldn't discuss, I was like, let's shoot on a 5D. We ain't going to get better skin tones. They wouldn't discuss it. And I just walked, I walked away. And it might, maybe it wasn't a good business decision, but define me as a someone who cares about yeah and you've actually stood by your you. choice i mean i think it's foolish but you stood by <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I mean, sure. in a car with cara delavine but you have to you have to make these not interested you have to make these stands you know yeah because you, you, you you're the guy or girl who makes that decision mm-hmm. and 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 who's the only person who really should know or care about that I, I agree with that. I, I, I had on, on the day, I was like, Andy, what do you want to shoot yeah, on? Yeah. What are these do you want to do? Because this is, I put a template out for my vision, my uh, theme, all the colors that I like. But I said, this is your choice, Andy. This is your realm. You choose this. It yeah. would be no good of me going, I want to shoot on this. Well, and you go, yeah. well, I, I, this doesn't work for what you want. So it doesn't make sense. But to answer the question, just mm. to sort of finish that, if you had the choice to shoot on anything, what would you choose? There's um what for for what? Anything. But anything. Oh, let's go, let's talk movie. Let's talk cuz we're talking movies. Let's talk of, you know, movie. Okay, well I, okay, there's there's some cameras that are interesting to me. There's some formats. I I want to shoot more anamorphic lens stuff. We were going to shoot it for the we, day. We were nearly shot for the day. Didn't work out. Um uh Guardians of the Galaxy. You guys have seen that? The new one, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I need to. <laughs> Dad's looking at me. I'm looking at Everyone, everyone's going, oh, That's have my you recommendation. Yeah. yeah, it's a great film. It's really, it's really funny. It's great. It's beautifully made. Um, all shot on it. red. Uh, and it's shot on this red that they've got with a large image sensor. Like it's physically bigger. It's like VistaVision or slightly bigger. It's a big chip. Okay. And the look from it is very, it's a very medium format photography look. It's a very flattering, very kind of epic look and i'd like to shoot on that that would be interesting to me okay so the new the new are, are red, they lighter the new red kit. it's because yeah i mean all, yeah red cameras get what's that called the new one um the body is Thunder. called weapon the sensor is called helium i think 
but there's weapon, two helium sensors. Like, those crazy names. Aren't yeah, they? like like uh, uh, the, whichever helium sensor is big. There's like a there's like a big one and a small one. Okay, Bitcoin helium sensor. What what does that mean? It's you just mean a, down and, what you mean. It make, makes your voice go like that. Yeah, yeah, it's so really tell light. Me, Andy, what and does helium sensor <laughs> mean? <laughs> I don't work for Red, but. Uh, so the helium sensor is like a really, it's like 8K or something. Um, okay, talk to us about the difference, because I know you described something, it was very good the way you described the difference between 5D going up to a, an 8K camera and what it does differently, the pixels on the size of the screen. So uh, there's, there's two things at play. There's, there's resolution, which is physically how many pixels are, are on that image chip. Like, so how much detail can you see in a scene? How much can you, can you zoom in? And then there's physical size of how big that chip is. And it can be the same resolution. It could be four meters across or, you know, half a centimeter across, like in theory, mm-hmm. um, and have the same resolution. So the, the two, the two things at play are resolution and physical size of the chip. And the physical side of the chip changes, uh, how the camera, the, the perspective the camera sees the world through. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you, which is great because I'm not technically minded. So this is really useful stuff. But I'm fascinated. Okay, I'm bored. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm fascinated too. Well, there's uh, there's another thing to think about here as well, which is that what what is your rent delivery format? Is it going to be the web where it's going to be seven seven twenty lines or ten eighty lines? Is it going to be a cinema screen? Most cinema projection screens are still only two K, so they're still only basically HD. So you can shoot on a eight K camera. But when it comes to the end projection, it won't be 8K. Of course. It might be 4K in a couple of cinemas, but it's going to be 2K. So with that in mind, do people sometimes, even with 4K cameras, mm. obviously we've got six and eight now as well, but do you, I've heard that people use it for a specific reason. And I wonder if as a DOP, you've done this. Sure. So you're shooting on an 8K camera or even a 4K and the output, as you say, is going to be on a 2K cinema screen. Yeah. So in actual fact, you're going to compress it and it's going to be two, whatever you do to make it 2K or, or just the fact that it's being shown on a two, 2K screen. What I'm told is that people use, use it as a time saving exercise. So we can reframe. shoot. To, yeah. So you can punch mm. in for the close up on the same as you took the wide. Not, not a fan. Yeah. Not a fan, but absolutely. A, is that why people do it? Yeah, and the guys, the way around this is to use really soft lenses so that people can't reframe your shots. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> I know that. Yeah. The, it's yes. Costing us money. I know. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you can mm-hmm. save time. Um, it won't look the same as recomposing a shot. And again, like I sort of feel like the director of photography's job is to compose the shots alongside the director. So if the editor or the producer is going in afterwards and reframing a shot, you, you're kind of overriding the, the, the opinion of the director of photography. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit like the same with color grading as well. You can, if that's taken away from you. So you, you kind of have to fight to keep, so with new technologies, you have to still uh, keep control of it, I guess, even more. So then why bother shooting on 6K, 8K? Yeah. Because, oh, so why, why bother recording, same as recording in a studio, why bother recording really high quality if it's going to go out as a podcast, you know? Because um, you, you win something. You're going to go us. Yeah. <laughs> why are we even um, <laughs> I don't need this caviar. I don't need this. <laughs> Um, Take the grapes away, yeah. and, can and the girls. Yeah. <laughs> girls, so, you can girls go can now. stay. And the guys. Um, <laughs> Leave the bikinis for where they. What was I going to say? All oh, right, because because um, because yeah, you can reframe and you can stabilize, which is what Fincher does a lot. Uh, David Fincher will shoot 4K, uh, handheld, which is fast, and you can get round without a lot of steady cam stuff and track. 
and then you can stabilize it, just crop in a bit, stabilize it. So that's good. There's all sorts of great things, but ultimately, um, if you shoot higher resolution, uh, you capture details at the beginning. So you capture a lot of detail when you're filming. And then a lot of that is retained when you get to the final print and it goes up at 2K. And, and I guess what I mean is if, say you're looking at something, say you shoot something in 1080 and there's something very small in the background and it's, it's, it's just between the two lines. It could be included or not. So it kind of flickers in and out or you don't see it. When you get to the print at the end, you're still not going to see it. But if you're shooting very high resolution, those things are captured and rendered in the first place and they're retained when you get to the last. So, so a 2K nice. print of an 8K or a 4K image will look better than a, 2k probably like in some situations because it's smoother and it's and it's it's nicer presumably it does become more relevant when you're talking about cinema screen sure than anything else yeah i mean iphones are 1080 now aren't they i mean like so galaxies like people are looking at stuff i feel like the tv in my house is better than the cinema screen that i go to down the road well yeah it's it's just a screen isn't it i mean yeah so for balance, there's a there's a, the the camera they shot the Revenant on the new um, Arri Alexa the 65 is interesting. So I guess the large the new large format cameras. So explain well, anamorphic right. for the for the non techie people. Oh god, it's so boring. What does everyone know about this? Everything. <sighs> it's, it's interesting. I've no J- idea what JJ Abrams is. always shoots anamorphic. Yeah, right? it's squidgy. You shoot things squidgy and then you want. What do you mean by squidgy? Okay, because um, I like the word. It's not squidgy. a technical term. Okay, it's, a great word. Uh, it's a very old technique that's popular in the 70s. Uh, Squidgy, but it's come back. It's you know when you watch Transformers and everything's got that little blue streak. I don't watch Transformers. I yeah, can't you bear it. You're so. I cannot bear it. Fact: I cannot bear robots fighting robots. It just makes you sad. Based on a true like, story. <laughs> Bumblebee and a whatever T Rex. What else is in there? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna make. I think I've worked out how to make this really short. Anamorphic lenses are a type of lens, right? And they make things look good. Oh, there. Uh, that's like saying, "Do you want to come out on a date with me?" Because I'll make you look good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. All right. We wanted to shoot the down anamorphic because we were shooting in a small room, actually very similar to the size of this. Yeah. And we wanted to give ourselves more space, so it looked like it was bigger than it okay. was, or to show more. We could show yeah. three people in the corners of the room. Not just that. Though. Yeah. So anamorphic lenses. When you record the image, it's that it, it physically squeezes the picture in one direction, so you end up shooting in some formats twice as wide left and right as you are up and down. When you see black bars on an image, when a, when an image is very squeezed and long, it's probably been shot anamorphic or it's been made. Oh, to those look, black look bars, top way. and bottom, like yeah. letterbox. Yeah, that, that's what that kind of look. look comes from originally. Oh, okay. Anyway, is is it's it's a thinner, wider format. It means you can shoot in smaller rooms uh, and get more of the room in, basically. Okay, but it's got a very a photographic tone to it. The way the image goes out of focus is very, it looks like photography from the 70s. or In terms of sh- the depth of field. Depth of, and the depth of field is much right. shallower than you could ever have otherwise. X-Men, yeah. first class. Yeah, great. I think was shot Matthew Vaughn, right? And it has yeah. that 70s look because it's shot on those lenses. Huh. It's, it's just, it's a very beautiful thing that I like. Yeah. Um, but it's expensive to do. The lenses are expensive and they're rare. Um, Let's talk a little bit about lenses then. Mm. Uh, Talk us through, for people who don't know, the, the various different lenses and, and what they do. Keep it brief, because, hey. Yeah, because it's boring. <laughs> in, in no more than 45 seconds. <laughs> That's all we need to know about lenses. Go. I feel like they're all overpriced. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
that was a great answer. Amazing. So I, unexpected. I, it's very okay. So if you want to make a lens to a high a high standard, and you're only going to make a hundred of them, it's really expensive. Uh, if you're going to make a lens to a high standard, and you're going to make forty thousand of them, your costs go down per unit. So a, a Canon bit of L glass is say like a grand, two grand, whereas like a Panavision. I don't know, or like a Primo or something is going to be like 20K or 30K or something for the same basic thing. I mean, people will argue with that, but it's a lens that that takes a certain lens angle at a certain... Um... So I think the nice thing about the, the DSLR revolution and, and reds and all that kind of stuff is that it's allowed people to shoot with old lenses from like the 50s and 60s and 70s, um, which are great and have their own look and... Means you haven't got to spend like five hundred quid a day hiring a lens to put on your camera to shoot a movie. You can do it on. I mean, I've shot features on like Olympus OM lenses, and they're great, and no one can tell. And like, I think they look great. So lenses are very important. If you have the money to get expensive ones, you should. If not, just go on eBay and get one for like twenty quid, and then shoot your film. Something really interesting you did with me. I can't remember what it was on. You'll tell me. I'm sure is you put uh, a gauze over the top of the lens, like a tights, mm. to give it that much more film look. That's a really old school technique that I learned from um, an old camera guy. Um, I shouldn't call him old. Uh, I guess he's probably in his 60s. So, um, is he older than Dan? He's older than me. Uh, <laughs> no one's older John than me. John Randall, uh, who, who I learned a lot from. He's a lighting director now. Um, but yeah, it's a very old school technique. You put like, I think it's like 10 denier or something, tights over the back of the lens element. And then you screw the lens in and then you film. And it's like a, it's a very soft, flattering. I used to do it on really old movies. Um, wow. it, but mm. there's all sorts of tricks like that. There's loads of stuff you can do. You put a fishing wire in front of the lens. You, to, we to did get, that on the music video. We, we did, did, yeah. Um, to, to get, to get anamorphic flares. Like what people like about lenses are the imperfections in them. And that's, that's, those are the things you notice most. So if you are trying to be flashy for some reason, say it's a promo or, you know, there's some reason for it, you can do it in other ways than, using a hundred thousand pound lens and, 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 and like you should, because that money can be spent elsewhere, you know? Yeah. Uh, we shot the dare on cook, right? We did very nice, very expensive, beautiful cook primes, which like are great. They're a bit sharp for me, to be honest, especially in that space. And in that, cause we had to build the set. So yeah. it showed up its imperfections a bit. A little bit, yeah. And we get to the grade, we'll sort that out. Mm. And again, it's that thing of capturing more information than you actually need afterwards. It gives you more freedom to, to do stuff. But um, yeah, they're wonderful. And they've got their own look and they're they're amazing too. But, but we because we had that option and it wasn't going to cost the production any more to do that, we did that. But we could equally have shot them on, you know, Rockinons or... Oh, really? Yeah. Because so, I know that brand, and it's the same as Samyang, right? It's, yeah, same uh, it's, thing. Uh, so this is a Korean, Korean South company, Korean which, company. Yeah. Which, which started out doing CCTV. They do low-light CCTV cameras, so, and the reason they yeah. moved into doing film lenses or camera lenses is because they're so good at, at low-light mm. capabilities with their CCTV security cameras. Wow. So I've got a couple of Samyang lenses for my 5D. Yeah. Outside that very house, reason. Point in making sure no one comes in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> With my, I've got my 5D yeah. Mark III out front on a tripod <laughs> just to make sure everyone knows that not to come near and nick, nick my stuff. Yeah, Samyang's are great. I, I, I shot um, to Dream One Samyang's there. They're beautiful. Like, oh, wow, did um, you? Oh, amazing. And, and I think the film looks great. And I've seen it on a big cinema screen, a 50-foot cinema screen. Is there a trailer out for To Dream? 
Yeah, I can send it. I can, yeah, there's a link. For no, it. I mean, yeah, I'll put a link in the show. Yeah, notes cool. So yeah, we can do see that. that. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Um, it's great. Like, this is my point. People get super hung up on kit, and it's boring, and it's not what being a DP is actually about. Like, you need to know it, and there are some situations where you need that tool for the job. But the tools for a job, they're not the end. For, well, not for me personally. They're not. It doesn't make the craftsman. Yeah. So what is? Tell us what is then. If that's not it, what 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 well, makes ho- a DP? Hopefully, hopefully, like, hopefully that the person you are on set and the 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 experience you bring, the artistic element you bring, the practical elements you bring, um, and 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 on bigger sets, the way you manage the set. The, you know the the way you you set up an environment for your crew to be because on on larger sets you know the the DP is the director's in charge of the whole thing but the DP's in charge of the crew he's the one everyone looks to so you, you spend maybe sixty percent of your time like managing people and making sure they're happy and they're able to do uh do their jobs and giving them the space to do that and and supporting them that way so it's like management and a bit of technical knowledge to do the job but like the main thing is is you can actually make uh useful images you know what happens if a director says something to you wants something that you don't agree with that you know is not going to look right what do you do I mean, it ultimately depends on your relationship with them and um you should be able to have that conversation i i always think ultimately the director's in charge of that sometimes the producer will be but they're putting you in a situation that's very difficult you sometimes have to walk that line but ultimately for me the director's in charge i can say look you know I think we really should put film in this camera for the next shot because I think it's going to look better, you know. But I mean, ultimately, as long as you've explained your position and the director, you think the director's understood it and they want to go ahead, it's kind of, that's the reason they're so visible. That's the reason they get the accolades. It's the reason they're far ahead on the, on the red carpet at the Oscars because they're visible. It's their decision to make. They take the fall. As you're a DP, you're slightly protected from all that. So you should kind of respect that, I feel. Paul Thomas Anderson with his... Next film, one of my favourite directors. Obviously, it's Daniel Day-Lewis's now last ever film until he comes back again. <laughs> um, he DP'd that as well. Right. See, for me, I find that really strange because I have done that on a, a web series called The Girl Whisperer. I did do that job. I was also doing sound and everything on that. It was just me doing it. And I found it impossible to direct the actors. Not that I needed that much, but... I if I needed to change it to get the beat of the comedy in or to get more emotional and think, because I, I was concentrating on the shot. Mm. I was concentrating on being in focus and making sure it looked visually pleasing. I mean, it was all handheld, so that didn't help. But I, I don't know how to do it. Space. It take, took me out of the space. It's why being a DP, it's why there is a job for the cinematographer. It's why it's still there. And we're also not talking about someone who's really important here, which is the gaffer, you know, mm. um, the guy right. or girl who's in charge of the lighting department. If you're a director and you haven't got a DP, but you've got a gaffer who knows what you want, they can do that for you. So on Shane's film, one thing left to do, uh, he was in it. So obviously yeah. you sort of sort of step up to being a bit director. And I know you're not, you, you, mm. you've got no sort of ambitions to be a director. How's that? So vision? yeah, I sort of can direct and I have directed stuff, but I'm not a director. But it means, it's like being an editor, an editor or something, you know, I can fill in those gaps. Part of the job as a DP is you need to fill the gaps that your director maybe won't have. Maybe it's their first movie. Sometimes you're a little bit of an AD, pushing people along. You, you just got to do it. You, but but again, like, you, you can't make decisions that will overrule the director. You you have to do it. As have an you ever worked with a director who just didn't have a clue what they were doing? 
at all. Apart, apart from on the day. <laughs> yeah, apart from one yeah, made this film called The Dare with this guy called Charles Olsen. Any of the stuff we did together. Um, yeah. But then, you know, you go home and you have some dinner and you go to sleep and then you have another day and it's different. What sort um, of thing would you have for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> so this is interesting. This is what I want to talk about. Um, yeah, yeah, of course you do. I mean, it's a, all walks of life, you have people who don't necessarily know what they're doing, but... Um, <laughs> But, but, but still, you like it doesn't matter that they're there for a reason. Uh, you know, I'm not directing it. I ne- I'd never like overrule them and go, "Hey, you're like messing this up." Yeah. You just guide them in the right direction. Sometimes you just put an arm around the mission. Yeah, them and and that's a lot of time. That's what people want. And and I say working with first time directors, that's sometimes what you have to do. But you're you're a support. There's something to be said for the hierarchy of. A film set because and i don't mean like having a tyrant who screams and throws things around and makes everyone scared mm-hmm. i just feel like knowing that there's a captain and that they know where the ship's going and then everyone else can do their bit you know and and they know where they are and yeah. that they'll get home on time and for and for structures and 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 respect mutual respect in all departments mm-hmm. you know it's so true i mean you know we've all i'm sure worked on sets where that doesn't exist sure and we know the consequences and they can be pretty steep and it comes back to the the whole recruiting and casting of the of the the people involved in the production doesn't it because you need to if ideally you've worked with them before and you know that this is someone who you'll get what you need from and you've got that mutual respect and you need to have that hierarchy and a lot of it comes down to ego being taken out of the equation doesn't it yeah on, in in all of those disciplines because I've been on set where the DOP his it's not necessarily his his knowledge that his creative idea is more technically sound or better if it could even be such a thing than the directors it's it's ego that's got in the way yeah and it's so damaging and so detrimental to a good good smooth running set yeah i thought what was really nice was me and you on the day and the world of darkness um but certainly on the day because it is a feature film is that me and you were very close on that we we really talked every day about what we were doing one of the main reasons probably there is the rest of the crew were bulgarian so that was sometimes... So there's like a culture, there's a language there's a, difference. Yeah, there yeah. was that. Yeah, yeah. But also, I think it's important that you are very sort of tight with your DP and your first AD so that you you know everything that's going on because you're the three leaders of your world. Yeah, you want someone to have your back. You don't want to feel like they're sniping you the whole time or trying to cut you down. Absolutely. It's... And I couldn't imagine how horrible that would be. I haven't had it, and God forbid I never have it, where you fall out with your DP and they're going, well, I'm just going to do this and make it look this way. And you can't even talk to them about what you want. Whereas me and you were very, we talked all the time about what we needed, what was important, why the shot would work like that, how we'd light it like that, where I can move my actors. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was a brilliant relationship because we really yeah, yeah. helped each other's skills. Because yeah, we respect each other. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, I think that's the main thing. It's mm-hmm. the main thing that's important because then you're not going to be like, well, I know better. You're just not going to. No. You- don't feel that you do yeah uh and i know it, that's why i pushed to get you for that because they obviously you know they want bulgarian guys because it's easier for them mm-hmm. and i knew that i needed someone who had my back and understood my vision and the language wasn't a problem when i'm on set and i, I mumble or i just say yeah, yeah i don't finish my sentence but and you'll get what i meant by that because there's like years of experience you know, get me a, and you knew you went coffee yeah, <laughs> yeah. he went tea. off wandered off <laughs> got my own coffee yeah yeah <laughs> There's another film that I didn't have a good experience on and then tell you why yeah. this was better. Great, do that. Um, so I, I shot a film in India uh, the last year? 
Last year. Last year. You did a lot. I had year. a big year. I shot like three features last year. Well, TV show. Guy. Kind of a big deal. That's why I'm so rich. Kind of a bad, I'm surprised <laughs> yeah. you're here. You can't trainers. afford me. <laughs> um, it was horrendous. I had a really bad experience of it. Mm. Uh, not through anyone's fault, just because the director hadn't shot anything before. He didn't. This was a big movie, right? It was a big, yeah, big crew. The, the long shot of that was it was awful. And, and it's the only film I've ever walked off. Um, and I walked off because uh, myself and my camera assistant's health was at risk. Uh, wow. Health and safety wise, but also physically. Wow. Like I lost like eight stone or something in the course of about three weeks. Um, just Did because. you say eight stone? No, eight stone. That, that would be a lot. I was so fat. <laughs> eight kilograms. Let's just fact check. I lost yeah. eight. St- fact eight. check. No, I had mm-hmm. some stones. I, just, I, had them, lost them, yeah. I can't remember. No, magic stones. 13 kilograms. 19 stones. I lost up with 11. a lot of weight. You do the math. Because I wasn't eating. I didn't eat for the last about five days because oh, everything God. I ate made me sick. Um, Was that because you were in India or just because of the stress of it? bit of both i think okay uh, we were it wasn't that we were in india it was we were in somewhere very remote we were up in nepal um in a very remote part of the world without much running water or power or wow. sanitation oh. or i mean we we're trying to make a movie you know and we had alexas and reds and um we had we had reds actually mixing it up and cranes and a big crew um and lots of lights um and a director who didn't have a back i guess is okay. is the ultimate thing so when I got to Bulgaria and things, you know, were a little different or a little harder, I was just like, no, I got this. Because I've been made strong by this, like, nearly dying in India, like, making a movie. And and this is the point I go back to. Like, if I'd gone out, my, I, I wouldn't have gone out on my own. I went out with my camera assistant, um, who's now my operator, who had, had my back. Um, without him, I don't know if I'd have got back, to be honest, like... Wow! Yeah, <laughs> you know that. I mean, um, that, as far as bad experiences go, that's about as bad as an experience. Well, this I've is it. Well, that's of. hopefully that's that's but, that. But like so, you say, it made you. Then when you came to the den, so there was yeah, and issues. we haven't got a location. I was like, all right, well, we're going to go home and have dinner. So it's probably I've got somewhere right. to sit later. So I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, fine. I can actually have a bed. <laughs> and finally, then um, a little bit of advice to future cinematographers, DPs: Don't go to it. In- <laughs> <laughs> I do. It's got an amazing film place you should go. Just don't shoot in the middle of nowhere without any water. Um, sorry, what was your question? Well, in my any country, to be honest. Any country without water, yeah. Don't um, do a podcast without water. We're all dying here. Why haven't we got water? It's crazy. So um, what's what's my advice to, to upcoming... Cinematographers, DPs, yeah. It's Do it. It's the best job in the world. If you're not good at anything else, which I'm not, but you're good at that, do that do that thing do that thing just do do the thing you love man but prepare for it to be really hard and prepare to work harder than anyone else because that's the only way you'll actually get anywhere because the great thing about the way the industry has gone is that now everyone is a cinematographer because the barrier to entry is so low and that's great but um it means you have to work harder to be even better because you have to be taller than all those you know all those people great advice that's what apple boxes are for yeah (laughs) get out the box height right that's it for this week's podcast the filmmaking podcast where can we follow you Andy our brilliant cinematographer DP I am at www.35millimeterdop.com on the internet and also I'm at uh, at 35millimeterdop on Instagram and Twitter and Twitter. And have you ever shot on 35mm yeah obviously that's your name of course I have just not recently because there's no point yeah okay that's another are you going to change it to uh Thirty-five. I'm thinking I will. Um, digital <laughs> media. Although I did, oh. I did get booked on a load of film jobs that were shot 
that were shot on film because of that thing. So maybe not. I don't know. Uh, no, keep it. It's brilliant. It's right, ace. Thanks. It's, if you it's like not it. pretentious at all. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and where can we follow you down? Oscar winning actor at <laughs> <laughs> Um it's uh, Dan Richardson actor on Facebook and on both Twitter and Instagram it's Dan seven one zero THS. And that's um Dan at seven tenths. Yeah. Cool. Dan, uh, and you can follow me at Giles Alderson on Twitter. And please follow the podcast at Filmmakers Pog Tay friends and share and what else should they do? They should they should write an email. An e- a review. <laughs> they should write a review. They should write, make little circles on their palm. I was literally <laughs> drawing. Only write a review if you like it. If you don't like it, it was like I was at a, a, a restaurant going, can I have the check, please? <laughs> <laughs> you ask for the bill. Ask for the bill. Oh, sorry, I've just got a tweet. I've got to go, guys. Yeah. Bye. Brilliant. All right, thanks, guys. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Take care. Bye.